I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. Let's go. Welcome back to your first million. This is Arlen. It is Tuesday, December 8th. Just had a great, great interview with the Mark Cuban. Um, he is someone I've talked about on this podcast in the past. So after you listen to this episode, go back a few weeks and check out the episode where I, it's called, you know, my thoughts on Mark Cuban or something to that effect. And uh, check that out. That's from earlier in the fall. And then there's actually a, even more, if you can't get enough of us talking to each other, there's another one in April. But the one that I did in the fall is actually just me talking about the $6 million fund that um, that I co-manage with, with Mark. So this episode is brand new. This interview is brand new. Just recorded today, as I said. And, and there are some really great gems in this one, really great things to mine for, um, I've, it felt very comfortable because we have had that year and a half plus now to get to know each other a little bit, and I think there's still um, so much we're learning about each other. So I highly recommend it. I'll leave you to it. I do want to say a happy early birthday to Mrs. Stacy uh, Abrams. December 9th is her birthday, and I uh, she sent me a happy birthday on my birthday in October, even with all the uh, how busy busy she is and how in demand she is, she was still able to do that. So I definitely want to return that to her. Hope it's wonderful. Thanks for saving us. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and uh, shout out to Georgia and all your voting. Thank you for saving us. Thank you, Black women, for saving us, all of you. All right, without further ado, this is Mark Cuban on Your First Million. Mark Cuban, <laughs> finally, I have finally. you on this show. <laughs> hey, you know, I've just been waiting for you to ask me. That's right. I mean, when I say finally, I mean, you are, you know, you're Mark Cuban, you're in demand. And at the same time, I've seen you uh, talk, you talked with us in April, right when things got really crazy with COVID, we didn't know what to expect. You gave a lot of our entrepreneurs um, a lot of hope, you know, and a lot of like, grounding I think and and then I've just seen you pop up in different places of course we work together so we'll talk about that but that let's start there let's start with the grounding part let's start with what it seemed to me like you made a decision in March or April to be a specific type of person and react a specific sort of way to what was happening in the world 
Is that something I noticed or something I made up? No, no it's a little bit of both. You know, it's just, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And I think people see me on Shark Tank. And so and my email is available to a lot of people. So people just come to me, you know. And so I was giving a lot of people a lot of advice. And when more people asked me for advice, I just didn't say no. You know, and it's not necessarily something that I hadn't done before. I always have tried to do it. It's just, it just became, you know, a lot more visible and maybe more necessary because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, how often were you uh, away from your Dallas home in 2019 compared to 2020? Like, what, what's the difference I've been there? Away in 2020, post-March 11th, I've been away once. Um, for shark shooting Shark Tank, twice actually for shooting Shark Tank, and that's it. Um, anything else, I was with my family if I did go somewhere. But 2019, did you I travel a lot? lot? Yeah, yeah I traveled. you traveled all the time. So that's been a shell shock for me, just being in one place. It hasn't been bad, it's just been a shell shock. What about you? Is that something that you're like, you, it was a welcome? Kind yeah, of I liked it actually, believe it or not. I liked it because I got to spend a lot more time with my kids and my family. You know, they were forced to deal with me. <laughs> yeah. Which you did when your kids are 11, 14, and 17. There are some, some friends of mine who said that they actually, like, got to know their spouse. <laughs> they actually, like, a lot better. Them. And it worked out, right? Yeah. yeah. For some people, it wasn't nearly as good, right? But, yeah. you know, some relationships, traveling is a plus. But um, in our case, it worked out really well. Yeah, for a lot of people, absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> With exactly. my, in my case, uh, my wife and I, we just we just crack each other up every day. So it's just been a joy. A good and good. Yeah, how long have you guys really been married? Good. I'm sorry? How long have you been married? Uh, just, we've been married for about a year and a few months. And we've known each other for about six, we've been together for about six years. A year and a few months. <laughs> Give it some time. <laughs> okay. How long have you been married? I've been married um, 18 years. 18 years. Yeah. Okay. Do you, do you ever give, do you ever talk about your marriage? Or, or, let's yeah. talk, like, I want to dig into that because it's like, I feel like I have a very specific relationship with you. So I can ask you certain questions and I can get away with a couple of things. Do you, what, what, what is the decision to talk about your, your marriage or not? Like, how did you think about yeah, it? I mean, yeah, I mean, I try to keep my personal life personal and private for the most part. You know, I'll talk about my kids because every parent, people are always curious, you know, what's it like, you know, in a wealthy family, is it different and what are the stresses and stuff like that. But, um, you know, 90% of it's normal. 90% of it's the same as anywhere else, the same as it was in my family growing up or my wife's family when she was growing up. Um, 10% is different. Mm-hmm. I can imagine you're, you're the kind of person who your kids have chores. Not as much as you think, not as much as we would like, but they have responsibilities, right? Mm-hmm. And schoolwork first. Um, but they they certainly have things they have to do in order to get things that they want. And right. so there, there's a reward system in place. Well, I've talked to my mom about this a little bit with uh, with her grandchildren, my, my nieces and nephews, we, we to decide on wh- how to spoil and when not to spoil and all of that. And we go back and forth on it, um, and we're we're both bad cop and we're both good cop, depending on what the what the thing. Right. Is. And one of the things we were concerned about is like, we definitely don't want our kids to go through what we've gone through because I she went through what she had to go through for me to have a better life, and then right. now we want them to have a better life. But we right. also don't want them to be entitled jerks. 
Oh, that's what I say all the time, right? I mean, they're not going to live, they're not going to have the same upbringing that I did. They're not going to have the same upbringing that my parents did. You know, um, you know, I had to work for everything. My parents had to work harder. Their parents had to work even harder, you know? And so it's, but at the same time, you're exactly right. What do you do to keep them from becoming entitled jerks? And that's always the biggest challenge um, that my wife and I have and trying to keep them grounded and trying to make sure that, yeah, you, you're putting the dishes in the dishwasher and yeah, you're cleaning up after yourself and no, you're not rich. Daddy is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then how do you, do you, do you talk to them about other people and like what other people are going through to kind of like level set there? Too? Yeah. I mean, you know, we have community projects and stuff that they do through school and as a family. And so, you know, we want them to be exposed and see, you know, that they're very fortunate and not everybody is, is near as fortunate. Mm-hmm. And then getting back to business, which I know is like your favorite topic, I guess, well, let me ask, is business your favorite topic or are the Mavericks your favorite oh, topic? Oh, the Mavericks all day. The Mavericks day. all day. I love to talk basketball any day of the week. I saw this weird, I'm not going to say weird, it was um, over the top uh, quote from you. And I want to make sure it was from you because I saw it in press. And oh, about my wife and the Mavs? Yes. Yeah. Like you said, <laughs> let me just say for anybody who hasn't seen it, you said that it was, it was. Sports. So who yeah, is it was about Luca Doncic, who's our star player, who I'm assuming is very important because yeah. <laughs> I'm not a sports person. Uh, but you said that if if it was between him and your wife, you would be sending your wife divorce papers. Yeah. How did she no, that was take all in that? Fun, honestly, unfortunately, my wife has a good sense of humor and yes. a good right hook. So, um, well, I bet she laughs all the way to the bank too, because she could be like, "Go ahead and say what you need to say." <laughs> <laughs> no, we, I mean, she's used to it and, and she yes. knows I have fun at her expense and vice versa. Yeah. You know, she, she's witty as well. Um, my kids are. And so in our house, you know, you, you, if you're going to take a verbal, if you're going to throw a verbal punch, you've got to be able to take mm -hmm. a verbal punch. And so it goes both ways. So with the Mavericks, I do know very kind of in the peripheral, I know that there were some um, some deals that were done a few weeks a few weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, the draft and then yeah. off season for free agency. I mean, your brother's into the Mavs. I mean, come but on. That's not. I'm not my brother. <laughs> He's also a Detroit player. Yeah, so it was a big off season for us. No, I'm sure he he loved it, but and he, I mean, my brother Rook, he 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 adores the Mavs. He I don't want to say if he adores you because I don't know how he want me to present that, but he likes you. Uh, <laughs> he thinks you're the bomb. My mom thinks you're the bomb. Um, I'm, hi too. Your mom's awesome. Yeah, my mom is great. She's she's really really cool. So the Mavericks. Does that tell me why you love them? Like I understand why you love the Mavericks. Why do you love basketball, owning a team, that part of your life so much? Well, well two different things. One, I just grew up loving basketball. That was, you know, the thing that I've always loved to do when I was six years old, 10 years old, 20 years old, and now. And, you know, for me, you know, everybody's got something they do to clear their head. For me, I'll go out back and shoot baskets on a nice day by myself or go down, excuse me, to um, the Mavs practice facility and just shoot, get up shots because, you know, focusing on shooting baskets and listening to the ball go through the net, to me, that's the most relaxing isolating thing that I can do that just pushes everything else away. Pre-pandemic, I'd go to the premier or go to Lifetime Fitness um, on Mockingbird and play pickup basketball, you know, as often as I could. Um, and so that, that's just, you know, the way I get away. Some people turn to art, some people turn to music, 
you know, my wife's always, why don't you get a normal hobby? So, mm -hmm. you know, like normal people. And I just, I just like basketball. That's just like always, it. I believe. Well, you're, you're six foot what? Two and a half, six foot three. Yeah. So you're, you, and you were a player in school. Not much, but you know, it's all relative. Yeah. I grew up. Yeah. But you know, I can hold my own. I could always, I could always play some, yeah. but yeah, not, not. You can, you, you know, can talk NBA. eye to chin to the players that you're, that you now are. The it depends. Yeah. Some of them are like seven foot three, seven foot four. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a midget compared to some. Well, let's, you know, this is your first million. Our relationship is, is about investing. You have uh, invested $6 million into a soul LP fund that I've talked about on this program before. So people can go check out, break that down what that means. When one of the things I remember, I think everybody here listening knows that, you know, you, you were a billionaire, you, you sold a company to Yahoo uh, early on and, and, and then bought the Mavericks and, and have gone on to be the Shark Tank, you know, the star Shark, one of the stars of Shark Tank. Um, star Shark Tank, every Friday yeah, night on ABC. The Shark, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when you, one of the things that I noticed was a turning point for making the, ba the Mavericks, by the way, I, grew up in Dallas, if anybody doesn't know that, so I am a Maverick fan. But making the Mavericks uh, go from what they were to a championship uh, franchise and then also that translating into dollars, one of the things you did when you first got there was you fitted out the locker rooms. You, yeah. you gave people li limos to, re to rehearsals, to, uh, to practice, all of that. I know there was a strategy there and it couldn't, have, it, it was portrayed at the time. Cause I remember this when I was in Dallas, it was portrayed as billionaire playboy is just throwing money at things and da, 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 da. But you, I know you had a strategy. Yeah, of course I did. Yeah, of course I did. I mean, you know, I'd run technology companies, you know, my entire life up to that point. And when I bought the Mavs, there was one way of running a professional sports team. I just wasn't going to do it that way. I was going to do it my way. And that meant, trying to put everybody in a position to succeed, trying to use technology to gain a competitive advantage, try to be smarter um, and, and try to, you know, treat the guys with respect um, so that they wanted to play hard and do well. And it's amazing how when you do that, good things can happen, particularly when you combine it with guys like Dirk Nowitzki, you know, Michael Finley, guys with a lot of talent who are good at what they do. Um, because like anybody else, you can have a lot of talent, but if you don't like going to work, then you're not going to do a great job. And I just tried to make it so people, you know, like going to work. Mm -hmm. And early on, the I won't get too far into because I don't know enough about it, but I do remember reading that people, there were some players on the Lakers who wanted you to come in and buy the Lakers because they were looking over at Dallas. Yeah. And at the time, yeah, we, we were. We changed a lot. I got a lot of grief where people are like, other owners or other teams were like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, you make, you're setting this bar for better yeah, or worse. Yeah, we yeah. yeah, and now everybody, you know, the way that I am is kind of like the normal now. And the, the type of owner that was in place when I bought the Mavs back in 2000 is long gone. You know, Michael Jordan bought a, a, an NBA team, and they asked him what type of owner he was going to be. He goes, I want to be like Mark Cuban. Mm. And, you know, to me, you know, that was the ultimate compliment. And, you know, since then, it's kind of been that way. You know, if you're going to be considered a good owner, you have to, you know, be be someone who gets involved and someone who is close to the team and somebody who cares about winning and wears their emotion on their sleeves when it comes to winning, which again, those are traits for any business, you know, any, any company, if you're going to try to do something well, and look, we all make mistakes and it's not never going to be perfect, 
But if you're going to do something well, you got to care, you know, mm -hmm. and you've got to try to, to understand what's important to your employees and try to make it work. I'm going to switch gears just a little bit, going back into the to the Shark Tank mode and the business mode. You do enjoy it because I can tell. Um, sometimes it feels, it seems to me that it, it, it frustrates you in some ways, but you do enjoy it, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. uh, and so to what is that part? What is that strategy itself? You know, you have so many things going. You've, I don't know how many investments you've made in Shark Tank, but I know in April you said you had 250 plus investments. Okay. What is the, what is the goal? Well, two things. One, doing the Shark Tank Friday nights on ABC. Um, you know, I like sending the message that <laughs> always be selling is what Mark always. Said. That's what I tell you, right? Always be selling, you know? And so, you know, I, Shark Tank sends the message that anybody can be an entrepreneur if you put in the effort. And, you know, every show, um, every Friday night on ABC, you get to see examples of that, where somebody comes from a small town, somebody comes from nothing, somebody without any type of true business training, but put in the effort to learn how to create a business and how to sell their product or service comes on the show and pitches us and takes our feedback and you get to see an example of what it's like to be an entrepreneur and start to run a, run a company. And that leads to who knows how many businesses that are started in this country. And to me, that's rewarding. I, it's exciting in a lot of respects. And, you know, we get to change lives. You know, we get to help people realize their dreams and you don't get many opportunities to do that. And, you know, in this case, being on a TV show um, on Friday nights on ABCs allows us to do that. <laughs> How, I know that I get pitched every single day of my life, um, but people, you know, I used to have to beg people to talk to me. Now I get pitched every step I take. Um, how is that at, <clears throat> at the amplification that you have? Because you are, you are a billionaire with a B. You're also on a, a very successful television show about investing where it's edited to, to seem like every moment you, you're thinking about um, uh, uh, investing. Does it ever get tiresome or does it just feel no, like- No, it's a good problem to have. You know, yeah. when you're broke, if someone would say to you, all right, you're gonna make more money than you could ever possibly dream of. So you'll never have to worry about another bill. But the trade-off is people are gonna want you to invest in their companies and they're gonna ask you for money. Are you gonna take that deal? Yeah, yeah. I'll all day every day it's a good problem to have and again it's, it's hard sometimes to say no to people because so many people you know very few people start a company or have a business idea and think it sucks mm -hmm. you know they all think theirs is the absolute best and you're you're just missing it and you're not seeing it um but at the same time even though it's hard to say no sometimes sometimes it's easy to say no when it works it's really cool yeah yeah and and i i've seen you uh, around you know in a couple of times in in person and you're really did you read the like what is it the 40 laws of power or something like yeah. that no because you you kind of you you roll um what's the word i'm looking for there's not a lot of pomp and circumstance with your no. situation no no i'm just myself yeah, yeah. I'm, i don't try to you know make a look i don't try to act rich to me you know, swag isn't what you wear. Swag is being able to tell other people what to wear. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't have to try to show off or do anything. I, you know, this is the way I was when I was poor. You know, we're done here tonight. I'm going to do a Zoom with my high school buddies that I've been friends with 
some of them since I've been five years old and we're still all close, you know, and mm-hmm. same with my college buddies, you know, same with my rugby team buddies from college. And after, I mean, you know, my friends are, have, are my friends, you know, I don't need to try to show off and I don't need to try to, you know, present myself in one way or the other. And this is the way I was when I was broke. And this is the way I am now. Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like, I mean, I don't, we're not talking apples to apples here at all, <laughs> but we're, we are talking about a six year period where I went from sleeping on the floor of an airport to being able to pay the rent of, you know, several family members sort of situation. No, and I, and I know that feeling, right? Because yeah. I've been through myself, you know, sleep when I first got to Dallas, sleeping, you know, with five guys in a, you know, five roommates in a three bedroom apartment, go into Tom Thumb on Greenville at midnight because that's when they reduced the price of the chicken wings down mm. to, you know, $1.29, you know, mm. before they foiled it. And, Mark you know, has the receipts, y'all. <laughs> I said Mark has the receipts from, from way back. <laughs> and worse, right? And so yeah. it's just like, um, you just don't, for, I don't forget those things, right? And, yeah. and I remember them and, you know, they're part of me and, you know, it's just, just the way it is. That's a, I'm glad you said that because I want to ask you something. It might get a little weird, but I want to ask you something. You, you are the, you're, you're my future and you're the future of a lot of people, right? So when I look at you, what I mean by that is, um, I, I know that within 10 years, I will be at nine figures in personal wealth. You know, that might be a hundred million, maybe 500 million. I don't know, but I know that to be the case, right? And I know how I feel right now, how, you know, I'm, when we leave this, I'm going to go watch General Hospital and it's going to be the same as before, right? Is there anything that I should know? Because if you tell me, other people will get something from it. Anything I should know about what to expect when you have that much money, that much power, that much. So, okay, so there's a couple of things there. Yeah. Money doesn't bring you power. Okay. Not at all. You know, um, intelligence brings you power. You can get people to do a lot more and have a lot more of impact by being smart than you can by being rich. As we see now, there's a lot of people with a lot of money that are dumb as a rock, right? And they may think they had that money buys them power, but it never really gets them where they need to go. And it really doesn't add. Now, obviously, we get Donald Trump is kind of the exception that proves mm. the rule. You know, he walked into the, the wrong place at the right time, I guess. But for the most part, you know, I've known a lot of, a lot of people with money and, you know, no one looks at them and, you know, I, I don't look at them and I don't see other people looking at them and saying, okay, you know, what you're saying is right because you're rich. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that, that's a misnomer that, you know, now you can probably get people to listen. You can pay people to listen. You can pay people to, to spend time with you. You can pay people to shake their head and smile and pretend you're smart. But at the end of the day, it's like any business or anything else you do, either it works or it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Either it's the right thing to do or it's not. And no amount of money is going to change that. And so there, there's just a lot of people that just think that, you know, with money comes power, go do this or go do that. It does open doors and it will get you a seat. But if you blather dumb shit at the table that you're sitting at, just because you wrote a check to get there, it's still dumb shit. Yeah. You know, so that, that's part one. Part two is the biggest challenge was, well, there's a part three. So part, the, the bigger challenge was dealing with family and friends because they don't know how to deal with you, right? So you're going to have some people that are asking for things all the time. You know, can I get this? Can I get that? Can I get this? And 
the reality is if they're close, you already know what they need. And if you're truly close, you're, they're not going to have to ask. You're just going to proactively give to them because you can and because you're close to them. The ones that have to ask know they're not close because your close friends aren't going to ask you because they'll put friendship first. And so my close friends never asked me for something, but if there was something really wrong, I knew and we were talking about it. And, you know, yeah, maybe they brought it, maybe we talked about it, knowing that I knew that they were going to ask for money or that there was a need for money, but that was okay because they're, they're close friends and I don't mm -hmm. mind, I didn't mind doing it and it was completely under my control. Then, you know, I had other people that were acquaintances, ah, you know, 250 grand, that's nothing for you. It's only X percent, right? And so you're not going to know it's missing. So give it to me. Those, those people are an easy, hard no, right? There's just no chance. And those people aren't your friends anyways. And so, you know, you disappear and you, or they disappear and, and you, you move on. And then part three is, you know, there's not a day that goes by where I, I don't ask myself, how the fuck did this happen to me? You know, seriously, you know, it's one thing to, to be, to make money, right? You know, so I went from, being broke, sleeping on the floor to having $15,000 in the bank and being super excited. I'll never forget. I'll never forget the moment me telling a friend um, and my dad that I had $100,000 in the bank Yeah. and my dad crying, you know, it just inconceivable, you know, that I had that much money. And then, it, you know, and I got that by working hard, but to be a billionaire, you have to, it were to be, you know, nine figures, you have to be lucky too. There's got to be something that falls your way. You know, the internet stock market took off at the exact right time for me. So I knew what to do with technology. I had a networking company. You know, I understood it. And we started the whole streaming industry. Now, if I started the streaming industry three years earlier, you know, could have been would a have completely fallen on, on deaf story. ears. Yeah. Yeah. It could have been, been a completely different story. Um, but then, you know, when we sold to Yahoo, we sold for stock. And I was, you know, we were smart enough to hedge you know, to make sure if the stock market cratered that I wish I still had that B next to my name. And so part of it is not being greedy where, where I've talked to people who are wealthier than I am that just want more and more and more and more. How much can they get? How high in the Forbes 400 can they get? I mean, seriously, you know, I haven't done things only to make money in years, mm -hmm. right? I got enough money. Now I do think to make sure I don't lose money. You keep it. Yeah, yeah. That, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. But you know, but at the same time, I'm not going to go out of my way to make my next dollar. It's not going to change my life. Mm -hmm. The marginal value of one more dollar to me today is next to nothing, right? Um, so what does so drive you? What does do that? Uh, being competitive, you know, like working with people like you. And that's why you see me. I'm, I'm critical when it comes to investment, yep. right? I want to make sure we get it right because I want to see you get it right. I want, I like to be right. You know, yeah. I like the, I like the, I'm competitive like that. And I like to help people start and grow businesses. That's yeah. what drives. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, your first point, what, what I have learned about being around millionaires and billionaires the last five years is that they love most of them, not all, but most of them love to surround themselves with people who are very interesting people, not necessarily other rich people, Right. Like they'll do business with some rich people, sure. But when they when they're sitting down to dinner, or when they're when they're when they're thinking through, who do I want to surround myself? It's people who are, who are thought leaders or who are very talented, or both. What, what I would tell you is, you look for people that reduce your stress, mm -hmm. right? That make things more enjoyable. 
And so if, if, you know, whatever the topic is, like we talk basketball, I'll surround myself with people who like basketball, <laughs> you know, and then the people that I work with, you know, I like people that make my life easier. Yeah. So I stress less, you know, so you've dealt with different people in our office. You've dealt with Daniel, you've dealt with a variety of different people. And those people don't create stress for me. They reduce stress for me or they don't stick around very long. Mm, yeah. I like that. I do like that. Um, uh, I, I interviewed uh, for some people that, you know, have been around so long, it's kind of like a pet and I can't fire them. <laughs> I'm not going to say names. We don't want no names here. Yeah. But, uh, yeah been around for a while. Cause I feel guilty firing somebody that has been around that long. Yeah. But that's just the way it is for the most part. Yeah. You know, I, I interviewed a uh, Melody Hobson, uh, I think two Fridays ago, uh, at lesbians who tech. And it was, a, it was the first time I think we were talking, we, we, we don't know if we talked to each other one other time, but I think it was the first time we talked to each other. And, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun to talk to her about, uh, her upbringing and everything. And one of the things she told me that reminded me of you is that she really, she really has no tolerance. It's the same thing that Ellen Pompeo said when I interviewed her that you have no tolerance for people kind of like trying to kiss your butt. Yeah. And so many That's people, why. so many people kind of go into that mode because they believe they, first of all, just want to be nice. They, you know, that that's okay. But they also believe that's what's going to get the yes from you. And I'm, I'm that way too. I don't like to, it's like, just treat me normal. Right. So what would you say the percentage is of the people who come up to who are strangers who come up to you, who you can tell are just kind of putting on airs? Um, I mean, 100%. Yeah. I'm not looking for friends, right? I'm not looking to make new friends. Yeah. You know, and so it's not that they're putting on airs, right? So it's not like I'm in a lot of social situations anymore because I'm so recognizable. I try to stick with people that, that I'm, right? Mm -hmm. And that sounds really weird, right? But that, that's just the re reality, right? People yeah. are always going to, people will come up to me because they recognize me, you know, and it's a yeah, situation. It's a yeah, whole thing. Yeah. And so it's not like, you know, it's been a while since I've, I've just been sitting at a bar somewhere with friends and someone starts shooting the shit with me. Mm -hmm. Right. Or if I do start talking to somebody, it's because I'm with somebody they know or been introduced and we're having some conversation. It's about the conversation and our mutual friend would laugh them out whoever that happens to be, if they just try to kiss ass, yeah, you know, and I'll roll my eyes in a heartbeat. If someone starts to kiss my ass, I don't care who it is. Right. If, if you're that type of person, you're, you're not making any progress, progress with me, with me. So it's not going to last very long. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, and I don't, I, I don't want to keep you too long. I, you know, I think that when you, when you talked about comparing, like you can actually get further being strategic, being smart, learning things and maybe even my added, you know, having a talent than you can by just accumulating all the money in the world. Yeah. I think that's one of those gems from this whole series that I'm going to come back to because it really, it puts people in more control of their destiny because right. certain network. people are going to get to be $5 billion, $6 billion heirs. Well, look, success isn't just about money either. You know, if you're waking up every morning excited for your day, you're successful. You know, when I was broke and getting fired and, you know, I was still having fun, but I was stressed about my job situation, right? But once, you know, once I got into technology and I realized I love this stuff, I love to learn and I love to read it. And I love just trying to push forward and try new things with it. 
because it's changing every single day. And, you know, and I can be like a DJ, like when you're playing, when I DJed in college, right. And, you know, you know how to read a room and, and play music to set a tone and technology is kind of the same way. There's always something new coming. And so, you know, even before I made any money, I was having fun. I enjoyed what I was doing. And, and so I thought I was successful. And then, you know, like I said, at the beginning, I busted my ass and, and worked my way and sold my way to success with my first companies. And then, you know, I got a little lucky, got smart and got lucky. But, you know, just if you're, if you really enjoy what you're doing and you wake up every morning excited to do it and you, and it's a job for you and you can pay your bills with it, you're successful. Period. Yeah. Industry. And that's, I mean, I don't want to say it's rare. It's, it is not the, it's not the majority of people who feel that way. And well, it's hard to know what success is, right? Mm-hmm. It really is. And particularly when you're feeling the stress, it's really, now people say, well, it's really easy for you to say, you know, you don't have to make money because you, Hey, I've come home to my lights turned off. I've come home. I've had my credit cards cut up all that stuff. I've had, you know, back when you had answering machines and everything, you know, hearing the phone ring and not answering the phone because it was bill collectors. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been there you know, and not for just a day or two. And, but at the same time, you know, it wasn't fun and I, and I was busting my ass to make more money, but I felt good about myself. It wasn't like I thought I was a failure. I knew that I was taking steps forward. And once I got to the point at the beginning where, like I said, I had a hundred thousand dollars in the bank, that wasn't going to make me, you know, ungodly rich, but that stress of paying my bills was gone. And I thought I was a great success. You know, I'd accomplished more than my parents or their parents and, you know, most of my friends at that age. And so um, I felt really successful and, and, you know, money plays a role, obviously, but it wasn't the only thing. Yeah. You know, when I, I used to get all kinds of bill collectors calls. So I finally, and my phone just changed the name to uh, William Collector, just so that I have a little bit of a chuckle when life was coming down. The answer answer machine message is I used to leave in the day, you know, it'd be like, why don't you just like you pick hello is Mark. Why? And the the answer machine would go, why don't you just open up my refrigerator and leave, you know, just dumb, dumb, dumb shit so that they have to listen through this whole rigmarole of nothingness just to leave me a message telling me I have to pay my bills. Oh, that's a good idea. Well, I guess we can't do that anymore because those were the days, right? But that's a good idea to yeah, send, them, send them on a, on a little trip there. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll kind of close out by quickly, quickly talking about, well, let's talk about the fund real quick and then we'll, we'll close out. Um, the fund itself. So I got a, you know, I posted about, our our uh, arrangement which actually started spring of 2019 we did talk about it summer 2019 we spent several weeks not talking about it just working on it which I really enjoyed um and I remember I said you know how do you want to you know promote this and you said you promote it the way you want to promote it if you want to at all which is you know in a world where people want to take the picture and have the the back you know like pat on the back and the and the tweet that is that was noticeable and so when you came back this year um and wanted to re-up I thought that was really cool but I I posted about it a few a few weeks ago and I said you know Mark Cuban gave me six million dollars and someone said he didn't give it to you he invested it in you you know and that's of course true 
because right. I turn, I plan on making that six million a lot more. You better. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. That's because a, you're that's, not nine, if you don't, you're not hitting that nine figures. That's right. That's right. I mean, that's that's what I wake up thinking about all the time is with with all the the funds under management. And even if it's twenty five thousand dollars, I think that I invested t- 2016, I wake up thinking about it, you know, so it's it's what's on my mind. But I guess I just wanted to get your take on the relationship because I know a lot of people have asked. They've heard my opinion. I even did a whole 30-minute episode about it uh, solo. What is your opinion of why you invested and kind of just what you you look to the future with this relationship? You go places I can't get to. You know, there's doors you walk through that I don't even know exist. And historically, the best investments come where nobody else is looking. That's it. That's it. And that's coming from a billionaire who, if you're interested in money, which some of you don't have to be, but if you are, he knows of what he speaks. I agree with you. I've been pounding the drum, beating the drum for a while. And I do plan on making it uh, a lot more. And, and, um, you know, we just had our five year anniversary in September. I feel like I'm just getting started. The next decade is just looks. I can just see it as clear as day, and it just looks so so fantastic. So I appreciate you being on the journey with me, and for for stopping by and talking to our audience. I know that they're gonna uh, really appreciate this. I know they had their notebooks out as always, writing down notes. Um, where do you want people to to see you most? Is it on Shark Tank on Fridays on ABC? ABC, yeah, that's probably the best place. Friday nights on ABC, watching Shark Tank, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. That that's probably the best spot. That's it. Do you plan on doing the show for a long time, or do you think? Yeah, as long as they, you know, unless something crazy happens, and you know, the biggest challenge there isn't whether or not I want to do the show because I do for the reasons I've said earlier, right? I want people to get excited about business. I want kids to learn. Like we're like one of the top two shows watched by families together on television. But television is declining, and so who knows, you know, where it goes in terms of streaming. Will we be on ABC on Friday nights ongoing, or will we be on a streaming platform? So things can change, but as long as I'm in a position to help get people excited about entrepreneurship and starting businesses, that's something I want to do because I think it's good for the country, and I think, you know, it's where gender and ethnicity and race agnostic. You know, you can you can watch us and regardless of your circumstances, try to, you know, get excited. Now you still, you know, people are going to have different hurdles and different challenges and they're not always going to have the tools. And, you know, hopefully that changes over time. But if I can just spark that, you know, or just create that little spark in some kid where nobody expects it. And that that kid just takes off and creates something special. And someday they, they turn around and say, well, it's because I watched Mark on Shark Tank. How yeah. cool would that be? Yeah. Well, that's the best place to leave it. I appreciate your time. If there's anything else, you know, you want to make sure that people know, let me know now. But um, I think that's great. I appreciate it. Now, Arlen, thanks for what you do. Keep busting ass and, and keep challenging. That That's the key. Oh, always. You know it. No, <laughs> you know it. that's why I love you. <laughs> let me just say, you know, when I say something, Arlen doesn't just accept it, man. She'll challenge it. And what Arlen does that's different than a lot, most of my, not all, but a lot of my other investments, she'll go right back to the entrepreneur and get an answer. Like I'll, I'll yeah. you know, I'll have a question just because I'm cynical. I question everything, right? Everything. Everything. And so, um, you know, she'll get you right back to the entrepreneur. And obviously the entrepreneur has to have an answer mm-hmm. because you can't have me question your business and not have an answer for Mark Cuban, right? And I hate to talk about myself in the third person, 
but like you always say, you know, that's, yeah. you know, you're you. Yeah. And, um, and so she always comes back with it. Now we may not agree and you stick to your guns and that's a good thing. Yeah. That's a really good thing. Well, thank you. I mean, yeah, I'll go back and listen to the episode that I did a few weeks ago. Uh, everybody who's listening where I talk about the relationship and I'll tell you more about what I think of that. Cause I, I, I keep, we can keep going back and forth, but I want to make sure Mark gets to his high school people <laughs> and I appreciate you. And I, I really mean that um, beyond money, you know, I so I appreciate it. I will talk to everybody soon. And thanks Mark Cuban. Thank you. Thanks darling. listening to this episode so i would love to keep up with you online you can find me at arlen was here on instagram and on twitter that's a-r-l-a-n was here i cannot wait to continue this conversation with you your first million is produced by anna eichenawa executive producer arlen hamilton associate producer chacho valadez 